0: Hello and welcome to another episode of PSHE Talks. In this episode we'll be discussing PSHE's role in substance use education prompted by the recent release of our drug and alcohol education lesson plans and powerpoints for primary and secondary schools which you can download by following the link in the description. Uh, and I'm, I'm joined today by one of our subject specialists Beth Miller and Dr Harry Somnell. And Just to say that we are recording this remotely so uh, if the sound does drop out or if some of the audio is unclear, I do apologise. I'll try and include a transcript of the recording in the description. So, Harry, today's guest, was a member of the UK Government Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, and a board member and past president of the European Society for Prevention Research. He's a professor at the Public Health Institute at Liverpool John Moores University, his research interests encompass all aspects of substance use, particularly young people's health issues. Uh, Thanks for joining me, guys. And Beth, let's start with you. You've led the associations work on this project. Could you just give us a brief overview of what the project entails?
1: Yeah, absolutely, Sam. Thanks very much for having us. Um, So this particular project encompasses um, lessons from Key Stage 1 up to Key Stage 4, And the aim is to teach children and young people about alcohol and other drugs and support them in delaying first use, reducing harm and preventing the development of harmful patterns of substance use in adulthood. So This is all part of um, health education as a whole and to help support young people and prompt teachers to think about how education around drugs and around alcohol can fit within a wider whole school approach, including thinking about their PSHE programme as a whole. It is aimed as pha 2 lessons rather than as prevention or rather than as intervention as a whole, but it fits within that realm.
0: Thanks for that, Bethan. Uh, and Harry, just a question for you now, um, really about you know, what some of the current trends in terms of substance education are and how it's changed over the past 20 years or so.
2: So in terms of substance use, there's been some really interesting changes over the last uh, 20 years or so. And I think maybe in contrast to perhaps some of the media, some of the newspaper headlines that we see, actually fewer and fewer young people are reporting use of substances, including alcohol and tobacco. And this is a, this is a, a this is real public health success story for many reasons. Uh, I think sometimes if we look at the headlines, we'll think that everybody's doing it, all young people using substances. But the reality is that the vast majority of young people are not using substances. So every year in in England, and there's equivalent surveys in Wales and Scotland, which are showing, and Northern Ireland, which are showing uh, similar findings every year, uh, every couple of years, sorry, there's a a survey with 11 to 15 year olds in uh, English secondary schools. And that's been tracking patterns of substance use since about 2000, maybe a bit before. And for all types of drugs, then there's been quite a dramatic decrease in use since about 2000. Now, over the course of the 1990s, uh, there was a large increase in substance use, perhaps perhaps coinciding with the rise of dance culture and rave culture and, th- and those sorts of things. Uh, but, but for example, around 10% of 11 to 15-year-olds were uh, would class themselves as regular smokers back in 2000. That's now down to 2%. Uh, there used to be a gap between girls and boys where girls would be reported more girls would report smoking than boys. We no longer have that gap, so we have similarly low levels of smoking. It's been a lot of focus on e-nicotine delivery devices or e-cigarettes, however you want to describe it. And that's also, some of the data is also telling us that Again, there's, even though there's a lot of interest in, 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 in these, these delivery systems, actually the number of young people using them is very small, and that doesn't seem to be changing much. And the young people who are using those sorts of devices who are vaping tend to be people who are smoking, uh, and that's the same across the UK. Now, if we look at alcohol, so this survey again told us uh, in the the last time it was conducted that about 10% of 11 to 15-year-olds drank alcohol in the previous week. So some listeners might be quite surprised by how low that is but but interestingly with alcohol even though there has been a decrease in the number of young people using and more young people are reporting abstaining from alcohol we still have quite high levels compared to the rest of europe so you know in some 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 respects you know good success but we still have some way to go and even though fewer young people are using if you actually look at those young people who report use then they report an average of about 10 units a week in those young people who report use. And there's also about 20% of 15 year olds who are reporting drinking more than 15 units a week. Now that's above the chief medical officer's maximum recommended weekly guidelines. So overall patterns of use decreasing with respect to alcohol, but there's still about one in five who are drinking at harmful levels. Hence, it's really important that we include alcohol education as part of PSHE. Now, finally, just just very quickly around drugs, controlled drugs, illegal drugs, however you want to describe that. Now, uh, we tend not to have so good data on this, at least compared to smoking and alcohol and that's you know for quite obvious reasons because it's a socially proscribed behavior and it's sometimes difficult to get the details of use but again that seems to be decreasing so in 2000 around 13 percent of 15 year olds would report use of cannabis that's fallen to 8 percent uh solvents something that we often forget about in the substance use repertoire about seven percent of young people reporting use of that in 2000 and that has decreased to about five percent so a smaller decrease so we need be careful about that. Nitrous oxide, which has been in the, the news recently, especially over the summer period, laughing gas, or as the tabloids like to describe it, hippie crack, although I don't think any young people actually use that term. That's also a popular drug, around about 4%. But looking at the overall trends, again, that's been decreasing quite dramatically. But we're not, we're not really sure why that's happened. But I think it's certainly a welcome trend when it comes to the health and well-being of young people.
0: Thanks for that, Harry. That's really interesting uh, and comprehensive. Uh, and hopefully that's helped to contextualise to our listeners where we are now uh, in terms of drug and alcohol education and levels of use among young people. Uh, and interesting as well that we don't always know why those trends go down. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, And a question to both of you, I suppose, because one of the points that's been emphasised um, in the teacher guidance and in the evidence briefing as well uh, that accompany these lessons is that substance education is one part of a whole school approach to prevention. Uh, Can you expand on that at all? Just kind of what might a school need to have in place alongside these lessons and what does that look like in practice? So one of the things
1: that I think we need to consider um, in our school settings as we start to teach these lessons is whether our policies are supportive of what we're teaching, so are they fit for purpose? And a lot of the policies that are still being used in schools have been there for quite a while and we're written at a time that, you know, perhaps we hadn't quite thought through some of the unintended consequences of how those policies are phrased. So, for example, when we look at our policies, we need to make sure that um, there is a balanced response to incidents in the school, should they happen, in which health promotion takes a center stage um, and the student is kept in school, those, those supportive relationships between the school and the student are preserved um, with direction to services, um, counselling, those kinds of things are gonna help our students and they'll support their well-being.
0: Thanks, Bethan. Uh, and I suppose this idea of an embedded curriculum is something that we've mentioned in our podcast before, but also in our guidance for teachers as well. Um, how important is that with this topic, uh, kind of making sure it's embedded in the curriculum, along with other things, and it's it's not just a, a one-off assembly, for example?
2: I, I think that's a really important point. Now, now that sometimes it's easier said than done to do this whole school approach, but it's really important that substance use education as part of PSHE, is not just limited to the classroom as, as Bethan was describing, that it should be reflected in the whole school ethos towards health and well-being and promoting that, that yes, you focus on the detail, you focus on the facts and figures and the education in the classroom, but that should also be reflected at all levels within the school. It should be reflected, for example, in how uh, peer-to-peer interactions are supported and encouraged. Uh, some really interesting uh, international educational approaches, for example, using pupils and students as peer educators around substance use education. There's also, I think there's also work to be done around students and pupil perceptions about how seriously and what the focus of a school is around health promotion and substance use in particular. And this is about understanding what are the pro-health norms within a school and as Bethan says that extends right from the whole school drug and alcohol policy but but also about how health issues and health behaviors are addressed in other parts of the curriculum as well it's about you know what is this school's standpoint in supporting the health and well-being of all pupils across the school year and students pick up on that there's some really interesting research which has looked into that and students also want to be participate and be a part of developing this school culture and ethos around health and this is part of a uh, of movement which was pioneered by the World Health Organization from the, from the 1990s about health promoting schools and I think this is really really key for substance use education so yes it's important to focus on substance use drugs and alcohol and to focus time and attention on that but it can't really be separated from for example other issues that young people are facing in school and if we think about schools as hubs of the community so how are parents and the wider community getting involved Uh, is good use being made of other local services and charities whether that's mental health services, whether that's, for example, local drug services and also how schools are interacting with those types of service when there is an incident in school. You know, is the response to an incident one which is supportive of pupils and not necessarily punitive? Although I do understand uh, the pressures that many schools might be under. And, and, and often those collaborations with some of those external organizations, particularly in helping to develop school drug and alcohol policies, can help in formulating and delivering a supportive uh, uh, response to a uh, school drugs incident within the school.
0: Thanks, Harry. Uh, And I suppose that feeds in a bit to uh, what we've mentioned before about the role of external visitors in, uh, I think, the first podcast episode we did. uh, And again, when we discussed gambling education more recently. Um, But thinking about substance education specifically, what are the important points that teachers need to consider uh, if they want to invite an external visitor into the classroom, say? Uh, Because I think anecdotally, at least, this is a PSHE topic that often gets covered in this way.
1: So I think when we talk about external visitors to the classroom, we need to make sure that our visitors that we're bringing in meet a couple of needs. So do, does this visitor that's come into the classroom, what they're saying? Does it meet your learning outcomes? Does it meet what you're actually trying to teach? It can seem very attractive sometimes to bring in an external visitor for um, engagement purposes. However, if they're not meeting what you're trying to get out of your programme or if they're not meeting what you're trying to get out of the lesson, then it might not be the best approach. Um, There's also some real areas to think about in terms of whether this is safe, whether it's actually helpful, or whether in some cases it's actually harmful to bring um, a visitor who may be very well-intentioned but um, doesn't necessarily completely appreciate that it can sometimes be quite inspiring in a way that we wouldn't necessarily want to pose to children to see a um, person who's had actually something quite traumatic happen, quite damaging happen, and then that that is then being used um, in almost a promotional way, which can be quite confusing for young people. Um, it's also quite important to make sure that we are making sure that the visitor is not instructive in terms of. Uh, how to go about certain behaviours, um, is age appropriate for the young people that are listening. Um, one of the key groups that we see coming into school as well as the police and it's really important when we ask the police to come into the classroom that they are only teaching about um, their field of expertise so the law around substances and that, that should not be the only um, input students have about substances. If someone does want to bring in the police into the classroom then we have a wealth of uh, resources and guidance about how that can be done safely and effectively.
0: And again that kind of touches on what's age appropriate doesn't it Um, and of course these lessons span from key stage one up to key stage four Um, and I'm I'm just interested in what each phase covers and how the lessons change as pupils get older because obviously they're going to have different levels of awareness maybe different starting points when the lessons begin. So yeah, I was just curious about the methodology behind that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And one of the first and most important things to do with substance education, as you would with any topic within PSHE, is to baseline the pupils in a particular classroom. So find out what they know before you start. Um, Look at local data to get a better picture of the area and adjust the lessons that we've planned if you're using them if necessary to match what students need in the classroom. Um, one of the really, really important things as well is to only really introduce substance specific information as the first time abuse begins to approach or if you're approaching a, um, an increase or a peak abuse at any particular point. Um, but to have that underpinning learning, so learning about um, managing risk, learning about um, seeking help, those kinds of things. And also relating it to your wider PSHE programme. So if we're considering um, teaching about substances, where do we have mental health and emotional well-being lessons in relation to that? How close are they temporally in your long-term curriculum planning? Because that's going to be one of the areas that's really supportive. And as Harry was saying, looking at the formation and maintenance of positive relationships between peers, those areas that are going to be really supportive for our young people in terms of a quick breakdown kind of key stage by key stage of what our lessons for example look like in terms of substance education our key stage one um, and key stage two for the majority of it's open to about year four most of it is looking at medicines and safe management safe use of medicines so using them as they're intended um, a little bit of look up here, influence as well so for example um parents around whether or not they can identify when influence is being used and when media influence is being used as well In via mm-hmm. 5 and 6 that comes into play quite a lot which is when we start to introduce substances in our scheme of work about smoking and alcohol and then as they move into secondary school our lessons then focusing key stage 3 a bit more about more specific substances again as that age of, of first youth approaches and then key stage 4 when our students may be um, starting some students maybe using some substances helping them to seek help and manage risk in a safe way um, so that they know actually there's there is a health element to this it's not about telling them right or wrong because that that is not something they tend to respond to as we know as teachers but telling them this is the risk how are we going to manage that risk is this something that measures up to your values and what you want to do Um, and then have seek help whatever they need.
0: So, it's very much a skills emphasis as well, isn't it? Um, kind of imparting those skills that they can use to seek help if they need to and uh, to find the right sources of support as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, they're kind of um, critical thinking around media influence and whether being um, where maybe industries are suggesting uh, use that may or may not measure up to their values. Um, social competence skills so knowing where, when peer influence is taking an effect and again how to manage that and those risk management skills as well and of course our help seeking behaviours which are um, signposting we really need to look at when we do signpost services what might be the barriers to those being accessed and how can we help our young people to rehearse the skills to ask for help and seek help perhaps using sentence starters, so they can have that kind of idea of what you might need to ask to a parent who who you might want to come and pick you up from, a situation in which you feel you might be um, slightly stuck or in slightly higher risk. Um, those kind of healthy behaviours can help to rehearse in the first place.
0: That's great. Uh, and Harry, um, I suppose thinking more about these older pupils, um, maybe those who are more aware of substances perhaps, uh, what can teachers do to ensure that lessons meet the needs of these people specifically?
2: Yeah, th- th- this, this is often a tricky issue. So I, so I talk to a lot of teachers and do, to do lots of presentations around drug education and drug prevention. And th- this is something which, which comes up, particularly, you know, I was, I was talking before about the some of the trends in use, particularly the age-related re- use, because there is a a big escalation in use from it from the ages of 11 to 15 and then of course 16 and 17 year olds and 18 year olds as well. It's a difficult one and uh, and I understand why teachers struggle with this because quite often students and other learners will, will might actually know more about substance use than the teachers or, or at least they will perceive or claim that they, they know more about it and the sorts of education that uh, older pupils might need is might actually be around uh, safety about risk taking, but also they also might have some very specific questions about the use of substances, and teachers might get uncomfortable about this because they either feel that they don't have the skills and knowledge and competences to do that, or they might also worried about be worried about saying the wrong thing or you know giving out the wrong message. Uh, And I think this is where a good comprehensive school drugs and alcohol policy comes into it. And a real, really good understanding about how local services can fit in with what schools are trying to do around substance use education. So, yes, on the one hand, even for the older pupils, the majority will, will not be using substances. But there are key points across the year. Christmas holidays, before the summer holidays, for example, for uh, before festivals. Over the last few months, we've had the COVID lockdown, and uh, there's been lots of attention on illegal raves and uh, unauthorized gatherings and things like that. So I think there's also triggers and external events which which teachers need to be aware of and to draw upon appropriate external support to help them engage with that. So, so perhaps beyond the standard and set curriculums around PSHE, trying to bring in some uh, uh, external providers, keeping in mind what Bethan was saying before, to maybe to talk to those older pupils about the realities of substance use. Because often young people's drug services in the communities are very skilled in talking about uh, some of these very sensitive questions uh, that young people might have about, you know, becoming more uh, exposed to substance use, being exposed to substance use offers. Maybe they're taking drugs for the first time and want to talk about those experiences. And I think, uh, I suppose, the key thing for teachers is that how can you draw upon that local high-quality expertise, uh, where, where you may, might not have that particular experience yourself.
0: Thanks, Harry. Uh, and I suppose, Beth, and that's one of the tricky things, isn't it? Because uh, often in PSHE, we talk about this distancing, uh, distancing the learning for young people. And obviously, teachers as well as young people bring their own set of personal experiences to the lesson. Um, and I I know in the guidance that there is a few sections on that which will be useful to colleagues. Um, and One of the other things you touched on, I think earlier, Bethan, was this need to signpost support for pupils. Uh, can you expand uh, for our listeners a bit on the considerations that yourself and the rest of the subject specialist team make around some signposting effectively?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So signposting for our young people is going to look different depending on the age of the pupil student and the kind of stage they're at and it's a really important as Harry's saying to not just highlight support inside the school but also externally so if you can for your older students signpost those local sources of support and perhaps even have that first contact in the school where you know this kind of barrier of first accessing support is broken down because they're slightly familiar with the service and that's really helpful. For our younger students, who are pupils in maybe Key Stage 1 and Key Stage 2, lower Key Stage 2 especially, so um, Years 3 and 4, we're probably looking more at internal sources of support, so sources of support around um, trusted adults within the schools, or perhaps the school nurse, or if there is a a community support officer attached to the school, whether it's in primary or secondary, using those sources of support as well, if if helpful. now, the thing to bear in mind when we signpost for our pupils is that that signposting isn't just for those students um, who might be worried for themselves, but also they might be worried about a parent or someone they know. And it's about emphasising that when we seek help, it might not be for the kind of worst case scenarios, so for dependency or, for you know, the idea of addiction. It might be that actually there's a little worry there that we need to sort out in the early stages and that those support services are there to help with that as well.
0: Um, I, I suppose the other thing to mention, and Harry, uh, you might have an insight on this, is kind of how these external organisations that we've signposted to in the lessons, I know that Talk to Frank have been included, and the NHS as well, and just how, how they keep up to date. Because I was interested, when I was looking at the website for Talk to Frank, I noticed that they'd had a rebrand. And, and obviously that's very important, isn't it? For for it to be a good source of support, for it to feel like it's modern, like it's keeping up with the issues that young people are facing today.
2: Yeah, it's, yes. Uh, and, and Talk to Frank is an interesting example because for many years it, it, it was seen as the, it was almost seen as the premier information source around drugs. Uh, and, and to be honest, for many years Talk to Frank in my view, wasn't a particularly helpful or useful resource. I think it, it, I think if Talk to Frank was struggling to position itself, it was struggling to actually represent you know, what it was trying to achieve. Was it designed to have an educational or prevention or informative perspective? But as you mentioned, Public Health England, as were, uh, took over the running of uh, Talk to Frank a couple of years ago. and They've worked really hard and, and I'm really impressed by the work that they've done. So there's lots of interesting information and accurate information on there about a whole range of drugs, slang terms, the effects, the laws, all of that all of that sort of thing. But they also contextualize that information really well. So um, such so, so as the things that we've been talking about today, about the interaction, for example, between drug use and other challenges and risk behaviors that young people might be engaged in. So it's well worth exploring. And in, indeed in, in Wales at the moment, there's a a cross-country educational initiative where peers are trained to use and refer to Talk to Frank as part of uh, classroom and playground discussions around uh, substance use. So it's a really good resource. Talk to Frank is also good because uh, as Bethan was talking about signposting, there is a section on the Talk to Frank website about seeking further support so you can type in your postcode or your local city or area and it will give you details of local drug services uh, ranging from uh, community organizations right to the more specialized ones so if, if schools are looking to either get external educators in or to perhaps signpost young people or affected others towards more specialised support. Then I th- then I think that's a really good that's a really good uh, 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 source of information. And I think it's 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 important to have a trusted a single trusted form of source of information. Is because particularly in the in the drugs. In the drugs field and the wider drugs education not, not, not just with regards to to young people in schools is there's lots of information out there some of its good information but there's also a lot of age inappropriate and developmentally inappropriate information out there and a lot of information which is is inaccurate a lot of information which is uh, sh- uh, not based on evidence which is sensationalist uh, So I think going through the Talk to Frank portal for teachers is a good, trusted, first port of call. call. And just to pick on something that Bethan was talking about before, about, about signposting and that when perhaps schools or teachers are faced with a substance incident or an issue that perhaps they don't feel best uh, 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 that they can best respond to and i think something which supports that is an environment of honesty and support around substance use education and this is why it's really important i think that the basis of a lot of substance use education is about trust honesty and being able to have those conversations and discussions because as soon as a pupil feels that they're going to be judged or feels perhaps that they're going to have a negative response or suffer disproportionately you know maybe through an exclusion whether that's permanent or temporary if they raise an issue or concern about substance use then that automatically breaks down that trust and i think referring to trusted and well-informed external sources is another way of building that trust as well uh to to really cement that relationships between pupils and the school and teachers as well around substance use trust is key uh, when it comes to this particular topic
0: that's great thanks harry Uh, and and we spoke a bit or you spoke a bit at least um about using local referral services And if if they exist, I suppose it might not always be an option for some of our colleagues listening to this. Um, But I suppose thinking about the locality starts before that, doesn't it? It starts with local data. And there are some great websites, which I'll link in the description, um, to help you find out about the specific issues in your area. But how important is that, Bethan? I mean, you were a teacher yourself, and I think you taught in a school in South London, didn't you? So you've probably got some experience of using data uh, to, to bring to the table?
1: Yeah, so I taught in just outside of Croydon um, and absolutely, I think wherever you're teaching, it's really, really important to look at what the local data is for your area. So when I trained to be a teacher, I trained in Liverpool and the the um, challenges for that area are very different to those in Croydon. I think it's very important to bear that in mind that when you're thinking about timely intervention in terms of when you introduce source specific, um, specific information, what is the pattern like for your local area? Does that apply for your school? Because some schools can have very different um, student breakdowns in terms of, um, you know, where they're coming from, what's the catchment area, are they coming from abroad, for example, in which case you might want to have a really good think about your baseline as well.
2: Maybe, maybe just an additional point is that looking at local sources of data is really important but 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 sometimes sometimes that data might not be available uh, and there might be a concern within a local community about a newly emerging drug so you know at the start of the 2010s for example we had the whole focus on legal highs as they were often erroneously called and there was literally dozens if not hundreds of new drugs emerging on the market and and I remember at the time not not just with with teachers but also people in drug services they were really struggling to keep up to date with what these new substances were or who was using them or what the effects were or how they might best respond to it and I think it's important to keep in mind that drug trends they come and go it's uh, you know it's a consumer good In a manner of speaking, there's fashions with regard to what drugs will be popular at a particular point in time. So if you don't have that specific local information or evidence, but you do have a concern around the substance, then don't worry too much because the basic skills in responding to substances, regardless of what that substance is, is essentially the same. You know Whether that's cannabis, whether that's alcohol, whether that's a weird and wonderful newly emerging drug, okay, there might be difference in legal status, but in terms of the issues which are affecting young people, their risk-taking around this, when perhaps experimentation moves on to more problematic use, uh, the interaction with mental health or sexual health or other types of behaviours, that's almost always the same. Those issues are always the same, regardless of what what the specific drug issue is at that point in time. Uh, so I think I think uh, uh, in particular, PSH the PSH curriculum is particularly useful at this because it sets a good foundational approach. Uh, it sets the essential skills that teachers and pupils need to have around substances which will allow them to respond to newly emerging trends and newly emerging harms associated with particular substances. So it's these core skills, these foundational skills which are really important and then the substance specific information is really just the icing on the cake in in, in many respects.
1: I couldn't agree more. One of the things that we always strive for within the PSAT is to make sure that when we provide lessons, we focus on the knowledge, yes, and the information, yes, but absolutely the skills and the attributes that young people will need alongside that to manage the situations that they're in so that they can have those skills there, they can have that ability to determine what they want for themselves and act accordingly. And I think as well, one of the other things that I'd just like to raise based on that, um, Harry, of course, brought up um, what was previously referred to, as he says quite erroneously, as legal highs, there may well be the misconception with young people as well about legality and whether that affects level of risk. And I think that's one of the things that we really need to focus on. We've got an area in the guidance in terms of common misconceptions that young people may have and how to maybe break some of those down. And there's a definite misconception that legality equates to safety, which we really need to think in terms of how we discuss that with young people to make sure that they aren't getting the idea that just because something is legal, it isn't going to harm them so that it can help to manage and assess risk in a, a more accurate manner.
0: Well, I think that's all we have time for. Uh, so I'm going to have to stop you there, unfortunately. But thanks both of you for joining me. It's It's been really interesting to hear more about how education around this topic has evolved. And uh, hopefully it's left our listeners with lots of ideas that they can... Uh, taken to the classroom with them when they teach this topic and remember if you're not signed up already you can sign up for email updates on new PSHE resources policy updates and top tips just follow the link in the description or go to our homepage and scroll down and for anyone wanting support in relation to substance use please see the NHS LiveWell website which includes a directory of services to support a variety of needs and I'll include that link in the description as well